0: Hi, it's Wes Johnson. And John St. John. And we're here for GGR Pirate Radio. Yeah, because they've got balls of steel. Yes, and we may take those from you when we're done.
1: A little, um... Welcome first, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Um, GGR Pirate Radio back on the air. Um, special episode tonight that Steve and I are going to be doing. We're doing part two of our uh, Mount Rushmore Uh, list that we came up with this time we're going for our uh, cities we I wouldn't say hate hates the wrong word but they're the rivals of our sports town so um, I chose New York for tons of heartache that that city has caused (laughs) me in all of my sports fandom and then Steve who did you pick
0: so I kind of cheated the system a little bit and so the Pirates are in the same division as the Chicago Cubs so they're our rival I picked Chicago, and not a single Cub made it onto my Mount Rushmore, <laughs> so I won't be talking about them at all. But that's how I got them into the list. But I think, also, in fairness, in fairness, yeah, um, yeah. we when we originally did this premise, we did it as like a draft where we like pick different cities, um, yeah. and I think at that point you had already picked Baltimore because you wanted to talk about the Orioles at some point. And so, if yeah. I had to pick like a rival city, it would be Baltimore. It's not Cleveland, it's not uh, Cincinnati or anything like that. It would be Baltimore, yeah. but it was already off the table. So I was like, "Ah, eh, Chicago counts enough." And now I can talk it about is, the Bulls.
1: This is this is fair. Yeah, this is this is very true. Um, and there's and that's the thing too is is we are going to It's not going to be just players from New York that I hate. Um, it's going to be ones that I respect a lot in some aspects, and some that I actually like almost idolize because of. Um, what they do, and and who they were. And uh, I mean, we'll, we'll go into that in detail. But um, I wanted to do a little housekeeping here. Uh, first off, um, today is a very interesting day in the history of GGR. And you may not have known this. And and it, it, you wouldn't, because it wouldn't be on your um, time hop. It's on mine. Um, but one of the stories that I told you when we did our music show, um, I talked about Raging and the Machine is one of my favorite bands of all time. And that they were looking for motivational quotes at that place that we both used to work. <laughs> and I used it. I used, I used, it has to start somewhere. It has to start at some What better place than here? What better time than now? That was, um, I want to say it was like, it was six years to the day, uh, this day. Let me pull it up and see if I can find it. Cause like th- what I did was, is like, I had to come up with a quote and I, right before I left for work, I put it on my Facebook and yeah, it was, Six years ago. Yeah. June 28th, 2012 was when I did this. (laughs) Yeah. So special day.
0: That's before we knew each other because I didn't move down there uh, to Virginia until July of 2013. And then we didn't know each other until a good probably year after that until I uh, went through all the training and everything got assigned to your team.
1: Yeah, so it was, just again like a weird little bit of of, of GGR history for, for anybody who's been listening. For any, that's one of my of favorite
0: time. stories of year. I, I, it it's was? so funny. I mean, well, just the fact that no one, not a single yeah. soul in that room, recognized.
1: No, because they're all losers. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know how that place is. They they just they love their their. They're quotes. They're quotables. You know the things that you can like. Oh, isn't that, yeah? Isn't this great? Isn't this wonderful? Like it's, yeah. It, it's stupid. But like, yeah. It's just. It, I, I find it. I always find it amusing. But like, um, I actually had another moment too, and I put it on my Facebook. Um, that I was in Wawa, and you you watched um, you watched uh, South Park when you were a kid, right?
0: And eh, not really, just a little bit. Okay, so there's a famous thing
1: with Chef, Chef's parents. Um, it, it was just like, they just they were older black folk and they just went off on this weird tangent talking about how they met the Loctus monster one time. And the Loctus monster said that he need, needed about tree fitty. And like, if you're a SpongeBob fan, or a SpongeBob fan, if you're a South Park fan, you everybody knows this. And, and we've all joked about it at various points. We've all said it to each other in, in, in Chef's dad's voice because that's what you do. And I was in Wawa uh, getting like a tea or something like that, right? And there was a guy who was grabbing a monster energy drink. And he grabbed it and he goes, how much is this monster? And I giggled to myself and I was like, about tree fitting. And like I walked up to the register like with my stuff as the guy was yelling across the wawa how much is this monster? And I was like, hee hee he, about tree fitty. And the guy behind the counter goes, He's gonna need about Tree Fitty. And I just reached across the <laughs> the thing and high fived him and I was like, I just thought that to myself. And he was like, right? Like you had to say it. And I was like, you're absolutely right. And we became best
0: friends. so that's a beautiful thing about humanity. You never know when awesomeness yeah. is gonna strike. Well and
1: that's something too, like, I mean we we didn't record it and you guys didn't hear it. But like Steve and I were having a, a very like philosophical debate not philosophical we weren't even having a debate we were just talking about politics and <laughs> so like basically how...
0: mike just lied to you he, he just said two words that were not the case at all
1: <laughs> philosophical debate sounds good
0: um... it does it sounds like we're <laughs> like sitting in jackets with patches on our elbows with pipes hanging out of our out of the corners of our mouths yeah exactly yes mm, yes indeed saying things like that mm, yeah. um yes yes indubitably
1: um but no we were talking about like politics and stuff going on in the world right now and um, yeah, it, like it, it's nice to kind of transition to this and talk about some positive things and like yeah. some nice things that are going on in the world instead of all the crap that's happening right now. Um, but I think we'll jump in. Uh, I just wanted to give that little, little tidbit and that little story that this is a, a, a an important day in GGR history. Um, the day that I stole a rage against the machine lyric and took it as my own.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he never ceased to amaze me, sir.
1: Well, I'm glad. I'm glad for that. So here we go, guys. Let's go ahead and kick this bad boy off. It is Mount Rushmore, part two, the cities we love to hate. Or in Steve's case, we don't really hate them. We actually love them because they're our favorite basketball team. But you know, whatever. So let's go ahead and kick off GGR Pirate Radio starting right now. <laughs>
0: You're listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Don't be a juice bag. This is called Pirate Radio.
1: Be like, oh, these are stupid guns. Guns are for
0: jerks. (laughs) Run around this city like it's your damn shooting gallery. Yeah, what do you do? What do you do? You act like it's a playground. Beat up the bullies with your fists. You throw him in jail. Everybody calls you a hero, right? And then a month, a week, a day later, you're back on the streets doing the yeah, same, same thing. thing. So you just put him in the morgue. Do, do, do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? You became a. The great pirate is here for you. What are doing? Pain heals. Chicks dig scars. Glory lasts forever. <laughs> If you will not turn to the dark side, then perhaps she will.
1: What's in the bar? Kill her! You
0: son of a... This is called Pirate Radio.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, my name is Mike Lunsford, and this is GGR Pirate Radio. We have got a wonderful show in store for you tonight. We are going to be talking about our Mount Rushmores, uh, as Steve and I talked about before uh, in our little cold open. We did our draft. Uh, We had to pick a city that was a rival to our favorite sports cities. Uh, I chose New York. Steve chose Chicago. Uh, So we're going to go ahead and talk about uh, who needs to be on the Rushmore. For those particular sports cities, uh, joining me, as I mentioned, uh, is my co-host and co-founder of GGR. His name is Steve monk That's me. Hey, there you go. I I'm know. that guy, the guy he said those things about. That's me. So let's go ahead and kick this party off, Steve. Um, I want to, I want to mention real quick about New York because I hate all of their sports teams, like. I don't know how to explain to you how badly I
0: hate them, but I hate and them I guess, a lot. Let me, let me preface this with with a question here. We're talking about yeah. New York City teams, correct? So like Buffalo Sabres, you don't care well, about them. I mean, I would go we're, so, we're so far about, as to
1: say I hate Buffalo too, because Buffalo is a dirty, ugly place. But I mean, I wouldn't say I hate them. I just feel bad for Buffalo because they're just always
0: horrible. Boy, I love losing Super Bowls. That's yeah, right? what the bill stands for. Yeah. I just I just <laughs> want to clarify, like, what New York we talking about? Because there's additional New York teams, and obviously the majority of them. And we're talking about teams that call themselves New York, even though most of them play in New Jersey, correct? Ugh, yeah, whatever. Like, it's,
1: that's the other thing too, is, we'll, we'll get into that, okay? Because like, and we've, I can't remember what episode we talked about it on, but we talked about how the different cities of the East, you know, quote unquote, all kind of are represented by a a certain person, right? So like, for instance, Philadelphia is loud, obnoxious, drunk, most likely. But if you need somebody to help you move your couch on a weekend, they're there and they're probably bringing beer. So like, they're loyal, they're kind of crazy, but they're still really, ultimately, like a decent decent fellow, right? New York, on the other hand, is the exact opposite. (laughs) New York is like, they're smug, they're rude, they're loud, and, like, they just, they always think that they're better than you because it's New York, because it's the, the bright lights, big city. Like, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Some other Sinatra quote. Like, it's, <laughs> like, it's it's just who they are. It's, in to a certain degree, that gives them a chip on their shoulder. And, like, it's admirable in a way. And, like, I, I kind of love the city. The city, let me state that. I love the city because of that. And, like, my mom's side of the family... When they came over from Europe, that's where they settled. They settled in Brooklyn. Like, so New York is kind of part of my identity. So I'll always love it. But God, do I hate their sports teams. Like, they're just, they're so obnoxious. They're so full of themselves. If they're, and like, if they don't win a championship, like, how how smug is that? Well, if we don't win, then this season was a failure. Like, wow, really? Like, that's some high expectations every year. And like, it's, it's. It's just yeah, just
0: effing New York, man. I swear. Especially when it's been so long since like the majority of their teams have been relevant. I mean, yeah, really. Like, what's their best team right now? Right now? Yeah, I, I mean, the Islanders. I guess had a decent season. I like they didn't even make they, the playoffs, and neither did the uh, neither did the the Rangers. Thank God, because I hate them too. The um, Jets and Giants. Neither of them are particularly
1: good. It would probably be the Yankees because the Yankees were a game away from yeah. the World Series last year. So,
0: yeah, and I and guess like, they're yeah they're on pace for hundred this year, and they got that real yeah. young squad. You're right; that is the team because the Mets yeah. started off hot, but they messed all over themselves, and you know, they That's, suck again.
1: Exactly right. Like they messed all over themselves is a perfect description <laughs> for it. Um, but like, the, and the Yankees, and really, ultimately, New York is a Yankees town. Like just like Boston is a Red Sox town. New York. Is a Yankees town and DC, DC. Like even though the Caps just won the Stanley Cup, this is not a Capitals town. It's a Redskins town, and like that's that's just the way it is. When 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 the football team is good here in DC, everybody's happy. Hopefully, because they're run by a horrible person, they have a racist name, they've been irrelevant for the last like twenty five years. Now that the Caps have won a championship, maybe that'll start shifting. We'll start having a polar shift towards some other sports instead of that. But like.
0: I think this it, cup's gonna just, go a long way for you guys in that front. I really oh, yeah. do. Oh, and it's 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 been so wonderful.
1: Like I talked about it on uh, on Rock Deep Rogue Radio. In fact, if you guys ever want to check out my side project, it's rockdeeprogradio.com. I did a whole show about it, uh, where we talked about how insane it was in this city, in this area for a while. Like that people were just so happy to finally have a championship. And then I actually wrote an article on GGR, and you guys should check it out um it's it's titled why this meant so much and it talks about the history of the capitals and why them finally winning a championship really was something to marvel and it wasn't just like oh hey they got hot at the right time like this is a team that's been around since 1974 and it's had some pretty rough things happen to them and for them to finally get over the hump was just it was it was it was pretty it was pretty remarkable so definitely check that out but yeah um back to our point here um so New York in general, New York is just, it's, there was a time when New York was, was the city. It was the the center of the universe. It was the biggest place in the biggest country. And if you wanted to be a star in a sport, that's where you went and played. And I think that we'll end up, um, I just kind of wanted to like set the tone for New York and I'll let you do the same thing for Chicago. Um, and then we'll get into our picks, but that is part of it, too, is if you don't, if you're not familiar with New York as a sports town, that, that's the things that you need to know. Is One, they've been around forever. Pretty much every single sport, the, the, big, the big ones, you know, football, baseball, basketball, hockey, they all have a team that started the main league in New York City. So think about it. Yankees were an original team. Rangers were an original team. The Knicks were an original uh, NBA team and um what's the fourth sport that i'm missing here now uh football the giants the giants were an original nfl team so that that says something they, they they're they an anchor of all things sports and so is chicago with the exception of i want to say the bulls are the only ones that are not the
0: were correct. not there when the league started correct yeah. they were an expansion team
1: yeah so and and really you don't even touch on the cubs like i think we have to at least give them
0: they're, they're, they're gonna be mentioned they're gonna be mentioned, but with the the actual premise being our personal Mount Rushmore, I came to baseball far, far later. Like it wasn't until I met my wife's family that I actually like I passively watched it, but I didn't actively give a crap about baseball. Um so I don't have really like that Cubs animosity or whatever. Like I don't have a lot of the, the history and everything like that. Um it's so for my personal one, I was speaking more towards the the three sports that I do follow basketball, hockey, and football.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that makes, that makes sense too. Like it's, it would be like me with, I'm trying to think of a sport that I never really follow. I guess it would be modern basketball because like after the early two thousands, I really kind of stopped following basketball. And like, I know who some of the big players are, but like their pieces getting traded around and stuff like that. And they're like, Oh, this guy's a good young talent. And I'm like, I have no idea who that dude is. (laughs) Like, for all I know, that could be a made up player. It could be like, you know, like when you play, um when you used to play um like NCAA football on like Xbox or PlayStation, and you would have them name the rosters and it would just come up with like random names. Like yeah. that, that's what it is. They, they literally could just be saying random names that were generated by NCAA football and I would have no idea.
0: Um I mean, and for all we know that is what's happening. Uh you know, but yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's our personal Mount Rushmore, so I was always like, Yeah, that's what I want to do. But you can't underestimate the Cubs' actual legacy, uh, how long they've been a team. And as much as I am pro-Pittsburgh and any baseball affinity I have is for the Pirates and they're our rival, like you said yourself, you have to give props where props are due sometimes. And the Cubs have an amazing history. Oh, yeah.
1: And, like, I don't know if you feel like this about baseball because you, you came into it later, but baseball has this very, like, romantic element to it because it's such an old sport that, like, it's it's almost like, and follow me on my on my logic here. You know how, like, when you're watching Lord of the Rings, there's those, um, there's those parts where they're walking, like, through the woods, which is, like, 90% of the movie anyways. But, like, they're walking through the woods, and there'll be, like, some big giant statue that's been toppled of, like, some long lost king but it's it's kind of cool because it's at one point this was like a mecca this was like a palace and now it's just overgrown with forest that's kind of the history with baseball is there's so much of it that like in modern times if you're looking at baseball players you're like oh well the best player the best yankees of all time are obviously Derek jeter and andy pettit and jorge posada and then like if you start leafing back and you look back you're like holy crap, this dude, Joe DiMaggio. Wow. Okay. This dude was amazing. Like, and that's a perfect tie-in because he's my first person on this list. Like when you, when you think of the New York Yankees, they're they're the cream of the crop. They're the, the, the top team of all sports teams, easily one of the most recognizable franchises in the world. There are people that have never been to America that know who the New York Yankees are that recognize that logo. Like it, it's a team that's been popular since the 1920s. Like they were, they're closing in on a hundred years of relevancy. That's insane to think about. And like, I could have easily gone with like Babe Ruth, but like Babe Ruth, I feel like doesn't belong to the Yankees. He belongs to baseball, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Like he's kind of like, I mean, to a degree Gretzky, like, yeah, a couple teams that he played for and won cups for and everything like that. But like, he's called the great one you know for hockey yeah. so I, I i would agree that now baseball actually like has a couple of those guys you know what i mean but yeah. yeah babe ruth is definitely one of them
1: yeah i mean in fact a lot of them are yankees like babe ruth um lou gehrig i mean two of like the most iconic players of all time are new york yankees ted williams too is a, is a red sock but like just in general the, the reason why I chose DiMaggio is, DiMaggio is DiMaggio is a throwback to a player that doesn't exist anymore. Like, he was he was the man's man. Because, like, not only was he an amazing baseball player, like, he he just went about his business with very little talk, you know? I mean, it's that old-school mentality, and I would almost say, like, it, it equates with Pittsburgh, because you guys are very about, very much about the, you know, don't talk trash, just do your job kind of mentality. And... DiMaggio was like that. I mean, he just, he was just consistent. I mean, he has a record that will probably never, ever be broken. And it, it's, he hit in, I want to say it was 65 straight games, is what it was. I'm looking for the number exactly right now. But yeah, it, it's something that you'll see. Yeah, 56. I'm sorry. I, I inverted the numbers there. But Got like a 56. On us there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, 56 straight games in baseball. This this is a game where you play 162 games in a season. So this is a, essentially almost six months of your life that you're playing, or six months of the year, that you're playing almost every single day. And he got a hit for 56 straight games. And nobody else has even really come close. Some people have gotten into the 40s, and that's about as close as they get. Like, the guy is just, like, he, he, was, an, he was incredible in this aspect. But not only that, he was like, the American dream, because, first off, he's this amazing baseball player, he ends up leaving baseball to join the army during World War II, again, like, man's man, right, like, this is what you did, like, all of the the big players did this in the 40s, but, like, he did that, you would never see anybody do that nowadays, no, no, I mean, other than Pat Tillman, you know, God rest his soul, but, like, it, it just didn't happen, and not only that, he ended up marrying Marilyn Monroe, like this is the biggest baseball player in the world marrying the hottest woman in the world at the time. Like this, he was the king of the king. Like he was, you couldn't do any
0: better than DiMaggio. That Marilyn and, like, Monroe thing was actually something I wanted to mention. Are you familiar with the author Chuck Klosterman? Yes. So he, I forget exactly which article it was, but he was talking about how sports then. It's like sports and pop culture went together differently than it does now. And so he equated, it's like, can you imagine in the eighties, like Michael Jordan and Madonna getting married together? No, that doesn't make any sense. And I think we're starting to see somewhat of a comeback to that. Cause like, I mean, think yeah. about how many of the 45,000 different NBA players that one of the Kardashians is married or whatever, but like, you're starting to see yeah, pop culture and, and athletics start to, to meld together a little bit more, but he was like the first generation of that. Yeah. Like talk, yeah, about, talk it was, about his influence. It, it went well beyond the, the diamond. Oh yeah, it,
1: it absolutely did. I mean, they, they talk about him in Seinfeld that his um, that Kramer saw him in, they called it dinky donuts and that like he was dunking his donut in coffee and that he was so focused just like he was on the baseball field that he was dunking his donut and Kramer was trying to get his attention by yelping. And he couldn't, he wouldn't turn his focus. His focus. He was so laser focused. Like it was a toss up between DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle because I think Mickey Mantle is or was the Bryce Harper of like the fifties and sixties. Like this young phenom with just incredible talent. But like I feel like DiMaggio was was untouchable. Mantle had a lot of problems with drinking and and other and womanizing and all sorts <laughs> of other things. And like. I feel like DiMaggio is a throwback to a time of a, of, a, of an athlete and of an era long gone, and that's why, like in my mind, he's just he's untouchable.
0: He's kind of like the prototypical role model that you wish we would see more of, right? Like you said, like I
1: wouldn't even I wouldn't even go I wouldn't even go that far because, like, because like DiMaggio, like just like. If you take somebody like we'll use the Washington football team as an example, you take somebody of that era because that team, the, the I do don't—I hate using the name and I already used it once today. Um, the Redskins were named in the 30s, right? When a, in a time when that name was acceptable. Now it's not. I feel like you take DiMaggio and you put him into today's world and he's going to be so out of place because he's just it was a different time sure you know? sure
0: no I meant more along the lines of a role model as in like the character that he brought to the game like you're saying like the focus and like being a man's man in the sense that like hey when everyone needed him to go to war he went to war when he needed to be the the leader of the team he was a leader of the team like that kind of like take charge leadership accountability kind of stuff
1: yeah yeah I mean I, I would I would agree like he just like and he would just he just went about his business, like and that's the other thing too is like I I try to get uh, Ulysses Campbell on this uh, episode, but he's got some other things going on. He would have been able to give me more insight into this because he's a huge Yankees fan. Um, but also he could have defended his city a little bit. Um, as I trash <laughs> you shred it to pieces. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, like, and this is, and like, I'm reading over this, like, apparently, I mean, his his marriage with, um. Monroe was not a good thing because he had a very strict Roman Catholic upbringing and he was upset with her personal habits. Like she didn't like to bathe and she relaxed around the house in the nude. And like, he just like, he had issues with her Mm -hmm. and the way that she lived her life. So like they, they butted heads, but again, this is the fifties, you know, it was a different time. And like, it even says that like there was an incident between the couple, Uh, is alleged to have occurred immediately after the skirt blowing scene in the seven year itch that was filmed on september 14th 1954 in front of the manhattans translux 52nd street theater then 20th century fox east coast correspondent bill corbin told the palm spring desert sun that it was director billy wilder's idea to turn the shoot into a media circus the couple then had a yelling battle in the theater lobby so like DiMaggio was really giving it to Marilyn, like really screaming at her about nice. it. Um, a month later, she contracted uh, the services of celebrity attorney Jerry Geisler and filed for a divorce on grounds of mental cruelty nine months after their wedding. So they were only married for nine months. But like, it seems like they met and she was like, oh, wow, he's a rich athlete and he's amazing. And she's like, yeah. And he would say like some fifty sort of stuff. Man, what a classy dame she is. And like, then they realized they were so polar opposite, it would never work. So...
0: Yeah, so I guess things aren't always as different as we thought they were because I mean those are the kind of celebrity marriages we see today that last, you know, less than a year or whatever. Was that one with like Kim Kardashian and Chris Humphries? Wasn't it like eighty-seven days or something like that? So. She went
1: to they—they they were filming the the marriage and then they broke it off. It
0: was—it was weird. It was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, maybe things aren't as different as we'd like to think they are.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's it's pretty similar, you know, exactly. Like <laughs> Um, so let me pass it over to you, Steve. Give us a little a little Chicago. Uh give us a little Chicago spinning who you got on your first on your list.
0: Uh do you feel like talking a little football or do you feel like talking a little hockey?
1: Um I know who you're gonna go with, with football, because I feel like
0: there's only one person you can go with, really. Um Yeah, let's start with hockey. Okay. So There's a guy on the Blackhawks, and his name is Bobby Hall. Have you ever heard of this person before? Perhaps. Perhaps he's the father of Brett Hall? I knew that (laughs) there was a point where um, Alex Ovechkin was going to come up. Because if you didn't bring him up, I, believe it or not, was going to. Uh, Okay. Ovechkin tied Bobby Hall in a category. Do you know what that category is? Um... Uh, most
1: handsome guy missing a tooth. No, I I have no idea.
0: Most (laughs) Russian. No, Um, they both are the only two players in NHL history to lead the NHL in goals for seven seasons. So, I mean, you want to talk about some prolific scoring. Bobby Hall's got you covered. Um, He played for, for those who don't know, the Chicago Blackhawks are the, the Chicago hockey team. Um, If I'm remembering correctly, they're one of the original six, correct?
1: Yes, they are. Yeah, it was uh, Rangers, um, Canadians,
0: Leafs, Bruins, Blackhawks and Red Wings. I'm surprised there wasn't a Giants. It seems like every league had some sort of founding Giants team. But um, yeah, I mean, a a giant on the ice, they're going to slip and fall. It's going to be a mess. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so like, I mean, when it comes to hockey, the Golden Jet himself, Bobby Hall, um, they just if you like scoring, he's your guy. That's what it comes down oh, to. Yeah. He's won the yeah. Hart Trophy twice. Um, I don't know. I mean, I can't say I'm a big Blackhawks fan because when I pick Chicago, I'm always thinking of, um, you know, the Bulls, and we'll get to them. Trust me. Uh, half Half of my Rushmore is is Chicago Bulls, but yeah, as a more casual hockey fan, um, there's certain names that you always hear. Um, So, you hear your Greskies, yeah. you hear your Muse. Currently, it's Crosby and Ovechkin. Um, But the Halls, Bobby and Brett, are names that always come up. And then you got Bobby Orr. You know, there's certain names that you just, yeah. you just in passing, you just absorb and you don't even really know. And then you start looking at the history of some of these guys and you're like, oh, wow. So, they dropped a lot of like, they got a lot of hardware. They dropped a lot of stats. Um, he was listed as one of the greatest, 100 greatest NHL players of all time. He's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. He's won a Stanley Cup. I mean, like everything I'm looking for in someone, I can go. That guy was awesome. Like he checks all the hardware boxes. You know what I mean, dude?
1: I'm reading over his bio. His slap shot was once clocked at 118 miles an
0: hour. Yeah, and so that was actually. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's one of the things. um, If I'm remembering correctly, that they um, they had to change some rules because of him. (laughs) Um, yeah, they did, the, yeah the current rules on how you can manipul- manipulate the blade on your stick um in, in regards to the curvature um yeah. thats thanks to Bobby hall and they used to just curve the piss out of the sticks and and you're familiar with the sport highlight where they have those big long wicker baskets on their arms and they whip the ball and it gets yeah. it going like 15 million miles an hour it breaks the speed of sound or whatever yeah. um that's essentially what they're yeah. trying to do with their sticks is making these hooks that you can kind of cradle the puck with and just rock it into the goal and of course this is an era, you know where the goalie does not have the kind of padding that they have today the kind of protection that they have today so um in an effort to make things fairer Um, and then the other thing with the curved sticks is that they would not necessarily fly in a straight path. So not that pucks always do. There's some sort of, you know, leaning drag things that can affect the puck, but just with the curvature of the stick, they would catch it at these weird angles. And so pucks would be skipping off the ice and flying in weird directions that the goalie wasn't accountable for. So yeah, scoring was at a premium here. Um, and you know, you're doing something and the Patriots get, Get ding for this all the time. There's ch- rule changes in the NBA all the time. But when someone's scoring so much they have to change a rule, um, you know you're doing something, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And like it's 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 funny too that you compare him to Ovechkin because Ovechkin has caught in crap for his stick too, for the for the curvature as well. And like they'll they'll come and they'll measure the curvature to make sure that it's not like violating the rule and he always is fine. He's never been like he's never had one of his sticks taken from him. But I just find it interesting how similar these two guys are really with this because I really, the only, the only thing I'm seeing different is that like, um, hall was fast. It said he could skate 29.7 miles an hour. Like that's, that seems absurdly fast. Like that doesn't seem like that. I mean, he's driving, he's skating faster than some cars drive. And like, that's incredible. And Ovi wasn't, isn't fast. Like Ovi just is like a freight train. Like once he gets moving, like you get it either get out of the way or getting run over. Um, but yeah, just, just reading over like some of his stats, cause I, I mean, I've always known him, I mean, for being what he is, but like, it, it's just, it, it's wow. Like to, to just to, like, when you start looking at the numbers
0: and you see nearly 120 miles an hour of a piece of hard rubber flying through the air is pretty scary. Yeah. And then it's something that fast, that would be coming in any direction, you know, to a goalie, like how do you even attempt to stop something like that? Um. I mean, he was just one of those dudes that's like going full force, you know, like you said his his skate speed and his slap shot speed like he was just all go all the time. And that's what I think of like I think when I think of hockey players, I think of them in two categories as far as entertaining players to watch. One is the one where you're kind of go I don't know how these guys are doing the things they do. And that's kind of your you know, you like you said your Crosby's, your Gretzkys and and your Halls here. Um the other kind are the 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 juggernauts that just are, are the enforcers that beat the hell out of people like Chara and stuff like that yeah. like those are fun to watch for a completely different reason they're not necessarily talented at hockey it's kind of like who put this shaved ape in an, in an NHL uniform and let them just go absolutely <laughs> bananas on a guy's head um that's a different yeah. kind of hockey that's fun but you know Hall fits into the first category and when you're watching some of the stats and like the old film um, we have a channel around here called Root Sports, and I remember, you know, during hockey seasons, they do, um, you know, like best of, like countdowns of top ten or top eighteen or whatever weird number they feel like doing. And I remember watching old footage of of Bobby Hall play. Um, and and gosh, it was just such a different era, you know. I mean, not not everyone's wearing helmets, stuff like that. It's just weird, oh, yeah. you know. It's just weird.
1: Yeah, I heard, um, I, I was listening to a radio interview uh, with uh, Jeremy Roenick, and Roenick played for the Blackhawks too, not obviously with Hulk, because I mean, he came in, in I want to say like the late 80s, early 90s, um, and, and he was a game changer too, but like, he's saying that the modern game now of hockey is so vastly different than what it was when he played, when Bobby Hall played when Bobby Orr played when, when these older like Stan Mikita, when these guys were actually on the ice, because like, he was saying that like most of them, again, they didn't wear, they didn't wear helmets. He's like, but not only that too, he's like, he was like your weights. Like you didn't really lift weights. He's like, you would go into the locker room and everybody would be like smoking cigarettes and drinking beer. He's like, that's, he's like this whole like athletic thing now where hockey players are athletic and they eat like certain diets and they're in the weight room and they're, they're using like all this fancy equipment. Like he was like, It's like, this is completely foreign to me. He's like, when did this happen? Like this, this is like, it's to think that this guy was that good with no athletic training. Basically, it was like skate, kill people with your, you know, with your shoulder and then shoot the puck as fast as you
0: possibly can. Yeah, you were talking about in your first section there, like you mentioned Babe Ruth. And it's like that guy subsisted basically on like whiskey and hot dogs. And he was one of the greatest players that ever lived. And like, can you imagine yeah. if you could transport him in time now and stand him next to John Gian- Carlos Stanton? You know, both were Yankee yeah. players. John Carlos Stanton looks like a like a absolute bull, like a monster. He's humongous. Yeah. He's a, you know a beast. And then you got Babe Ruth, who's this chubby little guy. And you know, it just doesn't seem like they could play the same sport. It doesn't look like they're built for the yeah. same profession, but you know, one's the greatest and one looks like he's got a pretty promising career, but you never know where it's going to land. Um, and and yeah. the same obviously true for hockey. I mean, can you imagine what what the current era guys have access to? Can you, you put some of these classic guys, if you could bring them from their prime forward? Um, I, I love basketball. And obviously there's equipment trainers, techniques that are newer now, but like what's really going to be different about the training regimen for NBA players then versus now? If you're seven foot tall and you work on your jump shot, you know, you can get better at basketball, whether you lift weights or not. I mean, look at Steph yeah. Curry. He's not ripped, ripped. You know what I mean? Like you look at Reggie Miller, who is a great three pointer. He's skinny as crap. Um But hockey, I mean, can you imagine if they were doing what the stuff you're talking about is?
1: Yeah, especially with no pads. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like blood, pads. Yeah, no helmets, like no yeah exactly it would be it would be it would be like gladiators on the ice basically Uh um i want i want to transition here um but i want to stay i'm going to go over to new york uh for my second pick but i want to talk about new york hockey for a second um f the rangers so hard i cannot stand the new york rangers at all I, i i just there's something about again it's that new york attitude we're better we're great we're we're wonderful we're fantastic and it was so great talking trash to Rangers fans when they were just like, oh, well, you know, you guys got lucky. And uh, if we had been in the playoffs, you would have lost to us like you always do. And I'd be like, yeah, cool. Hey, when was your last cup, by the way?
0: Ooh. I was the
1: same year that OJ got arrested. Wasn't, yeah. Okay, so like the 90s? Yeah. Hey, what happened, guys? How come you even won another cup? Like, it's, that's been wonderful. But like, there's just something about the Rangers, man. They're smug. They do that stupid thing where they salute their fans after every game. They just, oh, I hate them so much. But, like, looking at their roster and trying to find the Mr. Ranger, I I, I didn't really have one. I mean, you could say Hen- Henrik Lundqvist, but he hasn't won a cup. I mean, he's a really good goalie, but, like, I don't feel like that's enough. Um, you could maybe go back to Mike Richter, who was their goalie when they won the Stanley Cup. But, again, I eh, don't really care. Like, there's there's no one player that stands out amongst all of them. Like, like even if you say Marc Messier, who was their captain when they won the cup, messier is is an edmonton oiler like that's where he goes
0: as far as pantheon and that's that's the same, um i mean really you could say the same for gretzky for both teams like yeah he technically played for the rangers but he's more an oiler and even more of a king than than a ranger no one thinks yeah. of him in that context yeah
1: I, st- I still think gretzky belongs to the sport and not to a team just like ruth belongs to baseball and not to the yankees um but th- if you think about it too like the way they did Jackie Robinson, they retired the 42 number. They did the same thing with Gretzky. Like nobody else wears 99 anymore. Yeah. Like it's, I think it's unofficially retired, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. I just, it may just be like a respect thing. Um, I'll have to see Gretzky. I can't, can you
0: even imagine the Jag off? that's like going to try and wear a Gretzky number though. Like some rookie comes in you're like, dude, yeah. get out of here. Oh, it no. has been league wide retired. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> I was going to say like, you can't, you can't be pulling a 99 yeah. up in here. Come on.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like twenty three in basketball.
0: See, like that's—I always thought that was weird because, like, if you think you're the guy, you wear twenty three. And the reason it used—the reason yeah. it was twenty three—obviously that's the number Jordan wear. But it used to be the rule in the NBA that the numbers on your jerseys could only be one through five, and that means the individual numbers you could be number 15 you could be number five two three because it used to be something where the ref would only be using one hand to make the the numbers to signal over to the scores table when they're issuing fouls from across the court uh so so they would never but now you know it's all over the place now you can have whatever the heck number you want in the nba um so like there were certain numbers that you'd always see 23 33 just the number three um on all kinds of NBA players like Patrick Ewing was number 33. Jordan was 23. Pippen was 33. You always see these numbers. Um, and so yeah. when Jordan popularized that everyone wanted that number and then Kobe Bryant came yeah. in and he's like, well, I'm going to be number 24 cause I'm going to be one better than, and then he's like, and then I got in trouble for rape. So I'm going to be number eight. Um, I-, I don't know. Wait,
1: was he eight first or was he 24? I thought he was eight first and then he went to 24 after. I, yeah, I think he was eight. When I mean, he came in the league, he was eight, if I remember correctly.
0: Uh, you're probably right. But I know that's why he ended okay. up picking 24s, because he wanted to be like one better than Michael Jordan. Yeah, well, he's not, no. so. No one even talks um, <laughs> talks about him anymore. Um, Co- Co- Kobe? Yeah. Like the like The,
1: steak? the meat? <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I didn't know that about the, the thing, but I that's that makes sense, though, too, because like the NFL, for instance, just a quick off-topic thing here. Um, actually, no, this will be a perfect segue. Uh, the NFL has the same, or used to have the same rules about numbers, too. So like quarterbacks can only wear one through 19. Uh, receivers were only supposed to wear, like it was either in the 20, it was like 20 through 29 or 20 through 39, and then 80 through 89. Um, and then like Keyshawn Johnson, when he came in the league, wanted to have 19. So they changed the rule specifically for him, and that's pretty much the way it stays now. Like, I, if I remember correctly, running backs can be any anything between twenty through forty nine. Um, yeah, and like defensive backs, backs, backs like, in that in that list. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like defensive backs can be like twenty through forty nine as well. Um, linebackers can be like f- pretty much. I think it's like fifties. It's like 50s, 60s, 70s. They can't do the 80s. That's wide receivers. And then the 90s. If I remember correctly. And then kickers get whatever's left over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just take something. Just shut up. Um, but like, it was, yeah, it's interesting. I wonder when they changed the number thing. Because I remember when Rodman, because Rodman was with the, um, was with Detroit for a long time. And he was like number three or something, small number. Um, and then, or he might have been like 15. And then he got traded to san antonio and we went to san antonio he like that was when he started dyeing his hair and getting the piercings and like he had number 92 and that's what he wore when he wore, was on the bulls too so i wonder when they changed that
0: yeah i have to look that up while we're while we're talking here because like i yeah. distinctly remember nobody had a number other on their jersey other than zero through five and then just all of a sudden it was yeah. Eh, whatever yeah
1: I wanted to. The next one I wanted to bring up was we we segued into this number thing with with football and how all of the different positions in football have like their number categories that they're allowed to have. When it comes to New York football, right? There are a lot of classic players, but when I think of the best of the best of New York football, I mean I can think of a couple of players. And the first one that I think of is Lawrence Taylor. Um, I think of the the Carl Banks, like those dominant New York Giants defenses, um, but they're nothing without their head coach bill parcells and i'm putting bill parcells on the on the list on the mount rushmore because he was he changed new york giants football like they were a joke like after after the inception of the league like when we started getting into the football in the super bowl era which is like mid 60s the giants were not relevant like they were not good and they would get into the playoffs occasionally, but they never got past that. And it took hiring an unknown at that point, Bill Parcells, to turn the, the fate of that franchise around. And he ended up winning two Super Bowls. He architected an incredible defense with incredible players. I mean, like, I still think Lawrence Taylor to this day is one of the best linebackers of all time. Um, I mean, say what you will about the cocaine problems, but like, the dude was a beast. And I mean, I'm sure Joe Theismann and his broken leg would agree with that. Um, but like without Bill Parcells, there there is no Giants coming back to relevancy. You wouldn't have the Giants teams that won two Super Bowls in the 2000s. Like it would it would have had to have been a, a completely different thing. Like he he changed everything, and not only that too. I mean, like the guy is so New York; it's ridiculous. Like he's he's not he's not friendly at all. Like even in the least bit. Like he is just like, he's, he just bristles at the, at at the, um, media. Like he's just, he's short and to the point. Like if somebody says something smart, he's got something smart to say back to him, like dudes from Jersey. So like, he just, he wears that New York attitude on his, just, uh, he wraps it around himself as a coat. Like, and it's, it makes him, I mean, like, he's one of those guys that like, as growing up as a Washington fan, like whenever we would play the giants, like it was a tough game. And like, You didn't like that team, but man, you respected Bill Parcells, dude, because he had a good squad and it was not going to be an easy win for you if
0: you were going up against them. That's kind of why am I blanking on his name? The the current Cincinnati Bengals head coach. Marv Lewis. Yes, thank you. Like I kind of get not the exact same feeling of his bravado because he seems actually a little more soft spoken, but like that begrudging like he's a good coach. And he hasn't been so much recently, but like, I don't know, even though he's a rival, like, you're kind of like, I get him, you know, I get him. Um, And Parcells, like, he seems like he's the one guy accentuating that New York attitude that you were okay with.
1: Yeah, right. Like, well, because it was because, like, he... It's not even so much that like I was okay with it. It was just like because he was such a good coach. And I'll tell you, you honestly, you want to know why I don't hate him? is because he single-handedly turned the Patriots around. Like if he hadn't been the coach, if it wasn't him coaching Drew Bledsoe and you had some schmuck like running that Patriots organization, Bledsoe would have gotten murdered and he never would have had a career. And that team never would have gotten good because he was the one that built that Architect like he ba- he basically built the framework that was their successful team in the future. Because like look at their defense, where it was Willie, like the, the first like three Super Bowls they won. Uh Teddy Bruske, Willie mcginnis um, Chris Slade, um I'm trying to name off all the other guys. I mean, like there there was just a ton of defensive players that he ended up drafting. But that's the other thing, too, is you want to look at the best coach in the NFL right now, um, Belichick. Belichick is a Parcells. Tootle. uh he he comes from that line so like he was the defensive coordinator for the giants for years and he learned from parcells and like if anybody embodies that personality it's him except i think um i think belichick's more of a jerk than um parcells ever was like (laughs) but yeah like he's yeah and like here this is this is what he said um uh, Parcells left the Patriots after the disagreement with uh, after disagreements with owner Robert Kraft. He had effectively been the team's general manager since arriving in New England, but felt Kraft would not allow him enough input in player personnel decisions. Upon his departure, Parcells famously stated, "They want you to cook the dinner. At least they ought to let you shop for some of the groceries." Okay, this was mainly in reference to an incident in the 1996 Patriots war room during the 96 draft. Parcells wanted to draft defensive end Tony Brackens with the first round choice, but was vetoed by Kraft. They ultimately selected Ohio wide, uh, wide receiver. Ohio State wide receiver Terry Glenn. So it's yeah, I mean, again, he 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 bristled. He was not popular, I guess I would say, with a lot of people because they didn't like him. But like, man, did his players play hard for him? And that that's always a good sign of a of a good coach. Like you're you're not going to be willing to risk injury and bust your butt and go that extra mile for a coach that you hate. Especially in the professional level.
0: And i you can clearly see that taken to the nth degree with what Belichick has, yeah, in, in the current system, like you said, like he slid right into the perfect situation in New England because he is a defensive minded coach, taking that that like you said, that framework. Um, and I think that's why a lot of for for reasons that all the guys that have come from Belichick's tree, have had a hard time doing it themselves outside of the Patriots because I think what they're trying to do is take what Belichick did and, and put their own spin on it somewhere else, but they're not taking the the Parcells framework with them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, might be might be off there, but
1: Well no, I mean I would I would tend to agree. Like he and like he, he came back and he ended up being coached for the Dallas Cowboys, but like, it wasn't it wasn't the same. I mean, he got him into the playoffs a couple times, and like, and and any any Cowboys fans out there, there is no Tony Romo without Bill uh, Bill Parcells. Like, you wouldn't you never would have picked him up. And yes, granted, he never really took them to anything great as the quarterback, but he was a solid quarterback that got them into the playoffs and did some amazing amazing things. Whether you hate him or not, like love him, hate him, whatever your feelings are about Tony Romo, like the dude was an amazingly talented football player um and especially for like a no-name college like some no-name college in indiana that nobody's ever heard of and he was like a fifth or sixth round draft pick so i mean like you, you got to give parcel some credit for seeing some talent in the dude that nobody else even noticed
0: if uh, he's if he, he could have stayed healthy that that first year with zeke elliott man where him and Dak kind of went off and they made a decent playoff run and everything like experience Tony Romo there man that would have been tough I think they could have taken the Packers that year
1: yeah yeah I think they could have too and like you you give him you let Romo actually be able to air it out instead of like not trusting Prescott with anything yeah because like look what Prescott did this year he didn't really do anything because Zeke was out for half the season so it's yeah I think I think that changes everything
0: and, with that offensive line and yeah. the the dual threat capability of like are, they can run anytime they can pass downfield anytime Actually, being able to use Dez Bryant in any sort of meaningful capacity. Yeah, which it says something that once he left,
1: um, we never saw him again. Like, (laughs) nobody picked Dez up after that. So, what does that really say about him? That he is
0: that unwanted by the league? Like, I'm just wondering if anybody's going to pick him up at all. I think once, like, someone gets dinged up, you know, or someone. Someone was banking on some younger receivers that aren't quite ready just to pick them up, you know, just to have some someone who's been in the league for a while and knows what they're doing on a play by play basis, maybe. But somehow we got to talking about the I don't want to talk about the freaking Cowboys. anymore.
1: Yeah, let's not do that. That's gross. That's disgusting. Yeah. So Bill Parcells, New York Giants. That's that's what his legacy. I think that if he when he's in, the, I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame. So, like, it's as a Giants coach, and that makes that makes the most sense. And um, let's go over to uh, the same old place, Sweet Home, Chicago.
0: So, you said you knew who I was doing football-wise because there's only one obvious choice. Who would that be?
1: Um, I would think that it's going to be Walter Payton. I mean, you could go defense if you really wanted to do Mike Singletary, but, like, I, I don't think that... Knowing you, um, you wouldn't do that route because Peyton was such a stand-up guy and did so many great things outside of his football career that like, I, I feel like it would be a disservice if you didn't do him.
0: I pretty much should just go ahead and let you continue talking because it is 100% <laughs> Walter Peyton um, for all the reasons you started speaking about. But then let's talk about on the field first. My um, My goodness. <laughs> He's called sweetness for a reason. Like he just he had the moves, and he at one point in his career, um, he held records for rushing yards, touchdowns, carries, yards from scrimmage, all-purpose yards, all kinds of stuff. I mean, like the only Super Bowl that the Bears have won, he was on that team in '85. Um, he, I mean, I feel like. They were that classic run and play defense kind of team that I loved watching the Steelers beat um, when yeah. we won our Super Bowls when I was in college. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Ben Ben could throw, and when we beat the Cardinals, it was definitely him passing it down the field at the end of the game. That was, that was kind of a little more of a shootout. But our defenses always came to play, and we backed it up with a run game. And you can't do that unless you have a star running back. And that 85 Bears defense... Um, I think you and I would both agree, probably one of the top five defenses of all time. Oh, yeah, for sure. But you can only play defense for so long. Like, if you're going to win games 10 to 13, you still need to find a way to get 13 points. And the most effective way to do that is with the run game. Backing it up with a solid run game and just chugging out yards, keeping the clock running to so you get your defense to play at maximum effort for the entire game because they don't have to be on the field as long when you're doing quick strike offense when you're doing these high scoring teams you cannot keep a defense competitive because they have to run so much more they have to be on the field so much more often how the hell the seahawks were able to do that with their legion of boom for so long was actually kind of mind-boggling to me um but yeah back to walter payton like having him basically guaranteed to do what you needed him to do as a running back. What more can you ask for when you have that kind of defense on the other side of the ball?
1: Yeah. And like there's, if you've, if you've ever watched video of the dude, like he had just this wicked stiff arm that would just like, just knock people on their butts. And it was just, it it was incredible. Like I'm reading over his bio right now. It says his motto was never die easy. Um, (laughs) Yeah like and that that was true. I mean, like I think other than like just watching footage because I mean, like by the time he because he retired the year I remember being able to remember football. So like that first time um it was when the uh, Washington beat Denver in the Super Bowl. So this is 87. That was his last year. So like I didn't ever actually get to see him play, but watching the highlights Watching him try, watching people try to tackle him, seemed like almost impossible. Like people just didn't tackle him. And um, other than Barry Sanders, I haven't seen a running back that hard to tackle ever.
0: When you have like, so I mean, what he was officially listed at was 5'10", 200 pounds. So by today's NFL standards, he would be. I middle of the road maybe a little bit on the smaller side I mean you don't you don't really see huge running backs height wise but weight wise I mean you know they pack on a little bit more muscle you know they're probably looking more like 220 230 something in that range um, so but you're right like with him and Barry, Barry Sanders just having a little less weight and just added that touch of move, move uh, mobility that that just that one more cut or that that plant and move you turn on a dime kind of thing. Um, it, they can't tackle what they can't catch. I, I guess is yeah. the best way to put it. And he he definitely had that kind of run style. He wasn't a later stage Jerome Bettis where he's just going to run through a guy. Um, but the other reason I picked him and I touched a lot on this um, with my Pittsburgh Mount Rushmore because I wanted to pick guys of character and talent. Um, for those not in the know, the NFL has a an award every single year called the Walter Payton man of the year award. And it is award where one player from every team is nominated. And then they, they hand out the, the award to one player during, I think it's, is it right? Be- it's before the super bowl, right? Is when they, they announce it, like at yeah. the super bowl, before the game starts. Um, and it is for the best work, the charitable work, community work, Uh, Something where they're using their influence, money, name, face, prestige, whatever it is, to do something good for the world and the community around them. Uh, This year, it was obviously J.J. Watt for all the money and and awareness and everything he brought to Houston and and the entirety of Texas for the hurricanes they were hit with. Um, But it all started back with Walter Payton. And he has a Walter and Connie Payton foundation. They bring... uh, he kind of really big for him bringing awareness to like organ donation. Um, but that's just a tip of the iceberg for like what his legacy has spawned. Uh, Cause so many players were inspired by him as a talent on the field, which gave them the resources and the notoriety to do more good in the community. This award itself also inspires that, you know, trying to do more than just be the guy, you know, Get your face on Madden or whatever. It's more than that. It's trying to give back to the communities that these people came from, and uh, that all started with Walter Payton. So, I I'm hard pressed to think of a person whose legacy, maybe not specifically what he did, is with his organ Not that he didn't do a lot with his organization while he was around and that kind of stuff, but who's had a longer and more wide-spanning impact than Walter Payton from a charitable community standpoint.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you, when you think about it, like you said, you know, like the fact that he um, single hand, I mean like the, the the best player from each team to help the community and work with charity is the Walter Payton award. That's got to say something.
0: So. Yeah. And I mean like just because one person wins it, that means there were still 31 guys who did a crap ton of great work and maybe they didn't get the award, but that's still 31 guys who, poured a lot of stuff into people who needed it um i kind of see it as like you know the the stone that gets thrown into the the pond and makes all the ripples he's the stone that got thrown in and now we're seeing all the ripples that that are moving away from that and still causing good in his name
1: yeah yeah i mean again the guy the guy was incredible and um i'll only mention it in passing um, he did all of these great things for charity and did a lot of things in the community. Apparently, and I didn't even know this, like his personal life was pretty tumultuous and um, I'll just leave it at that. You guys should look it up. It's kind of interesting. Cause I guess in his biography, they go into detail, but um, it's also kind of sad because we've talked about the impact um, that CTE and just like injuries just take on uh, the, the toll it takes on their bodies of uh, football players. Um, Walter Payton died he was only like 57 if I remember correctly like he was not old at all and um, he just he had a pro- a problems with substance abuse Um, but a lot of it was because of the injuries and punishment he sustained playing football like he just th- that's what happened in the 80s and the 70s and the 60s for these football players is they didn't stop they taped it up and shot themselves full of something that would numb it and they kept going and like it's to a certain degree, like a lot of us were raised with the image that that was the kind of person that you needed to be. And like, we're really seeing the long lasting damage it's done, like not only to these athletes, bodies and minds as they age, but also to like, just to our general psyche in general, to think that like, even when you're hurt, whether it be mentally or physically, that you just suck it up, you don't talk about it, and you just keep going anyways. Like that's, it's it's a very dangerous way of, of doing things. And it's, 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 it's this weird bouncing act. It's like admirable, but at the same time, it's kind of like frightening that this is the kind of things that we wanted our heroes to be.
0: Yeah. And I think like a lot of these guys you hear about had substance abuse problems and everything. It's like, it's just, it's self medication because no one knew what was wrong with them. They didn't know what was wrong with them. They just know they were hurting either mentally or physically and they just needed a way to, to do something uh, to to address it because they didn't know what else to do. Um, I, I For the, all the positives and negatives of the movie Concussion, uh, I think the phrase they used that was the best at the very end when they were talking about the different dialogues about what the NFL was going to do in the future about CT and problems like that, it's like, look, we still want to... We're not saying we don't want to play football. Um, what we want to have access to is all the information all the risks what you know what you don't know tell us everything you have access to and then let us make the decision so you were saying about it's kind of admirable, but at the same time it's kind of scary it's like all right put all the cards on the table if i know the risks then i can weigh them and if it's worth the risk to me because that's the guy i am then great if it's not worth the risk to you there's nothing wrong with that because you you know what the risks are and it's just not yeah. a cost benefit analysis you're willing to to pursue at that point but a lot of these guys they just they didn't know
1: yeah yeah it was exactly they they didn't know and I mean we're finding we're finding out now you know I mean hindsight is always 2020 but yeah um yeah I mean Walter Payton was incredible I mean he really was and it's and like I remember watching the there's a ESPN 30 for 30 about the uh 1985 uh Bears and one of the things they talk about is how Peyton had this incredible career and then he finally gets to the Super Bowl and he only has like 35 yards rushing or something like that and like didn't even score a touchdown like they ended up handing the ball off to uh, the fridge and the fridge got the touchdown and like (laughs) Peyton was kind of bummed that he never got to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl so.
0: I don't know if I were him if I could look back and pick what I want to have everything happen the way it did as far as like what I did for the community and have an award named after me scoring one touchdown in the Super Bowl, like a little gimme touchdown. I don't know. I think I'd probably take what he what he did now. You know what I yeah. mean?
1: Well, and, and Jim McMahon, the quarterback of the uh, 85 Bears, even said that they the Patriots' defensive game plan was to take Walter Payton out of the game. So, like, like, not out of the game and, like, injure him, but, I mean, like, so that he was a non-factor. And that if it wasn't for them double and triple teaming him on every play the other team, the other players on the team wouldn't have had a chance to shine. So it's yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it actually even says here, it says in, in a later interview, Ditka states that his only major regret was Peyton's lack of touchdown, uh, in the Super Bowl. So yeah, I mean, so even Ditka saw it as a, as an issue. So it's yeah. So let's move on to our, our next one. We're going to go back to New York. Big uh, apple. We're going the big apple. Um, We're going to talk about not a player or a coach because I've done a little bit of, I did a player and a coach. Uh, We're going to go to an owner, an owner that I wouldn't say controversial is the right word for him. Like the dude was reviled by Yankees fans and by pretty much every other baseball fan out there for, for a number of years. Now he did end up having some success But at the same time, too, um, I don't know if it ended up, like, really fixing all of the problems that he caused. And that's George Steinbrenner. Um, Steinbrenner bought the New York Yankees in 1972. So, or I'm sorry, 1973. Um, It was the 1973 season that they had them. So this is when the Yankees were, I wouldn't say rebuilding. Rebuilding is the wrong word. But they were good in the 50s. They were good in the 60s. Um, but towards the end of the 60s, they weren't that good. So in buying the team, basically, um, it was it was definitely a change. And, I mean, the guy ended up rattling off. Like, I mean, they ended up winning a bunch of championships while he was the owner. But, like, some of the things that he did, like, he would, he would come down in the middle of games or call the bullpen phone and, like, tell the managers what needed to be done or like be in their ear. Like he was, he was just a, a meddler in everything. And like,
0: it was Jerry Jones he, before Jerry Jones.
1: Exactly. Like Jerry Jones, like saw George Steinbrenner and was like, I want to be just like him. <laughs> um, and this is what it says. Like it says Steinbrenner quickly became famous for his rapid turnover of management personnel In his 23 year uh, in his first 23 seasons. he man- He changed managers 20 times. Billy Martin alone was fired and rehired five times. <laughs>
0: I can't, first 26- I can't
1: even imagine i can't even imagine that right like during his first 26 years with the club he went through 13 publicity directors the first time george fires you it's very traumatic often fired yankees flack uh harvey green said but three or four times after that it's like great i've got the rest of the day off he also employed 11 general managers over 30 years he was equally famous for pursuing high-priced free agents and then feuding with them in july of 1978 Billy Martin famously said of Steinbrenner's $3 million outfielder, Reggie Jackson, the two were meant for each other. One's a born liar and the other's convicted. Uh, The comments resulted in Martin's first departure, though officially he resigned tearfully before Yankees president Al Rosen could carry out Steinbrenner's dictum to fire him. During the 1981 World Series, Steinbrenner provided a colorful backdrop to the Yankees' loss of the series after a Game 3 loss to uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Steinbrenner called a press conference in his hotel room showing off his left hand in a cast and various other injuries that he claimed were earned in a fight with two Dodgers fans in the hotel elevator. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) But then like nobody came forward to claim that they fought George Steinbrenner so people were accusing him of faking it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god that's wonderful. Oh my god. I, but like okay
0: i i dream yeah, of a story that amazing like happening in sports today oh yeah. spurs coach greg popovich comes out in a wheelchair and turns out he was faking it the whole time <laughs> like, right? like yeah. what
1: <laughs> be nonsense oh my god so so apparently george steinbrenner had a facial hair policy too uh, Steinbrenner enforced a military-style grooming code. All players, coaches, and male executives were forbidden to uh, display any facial hair other than mustaches, except for religious reasons, and scalp hair could not be uh, could not grow below, uh below the collar. Long sideburns and mutton chops were specifically banned. Do you remember that episode of The Simpsons when Mr. Burns hires all of those professional baseball players to play softball? Yes. And, and Like Daryl like, Strawberry like and
0: stuff like that.
1: Yeah, and like... Um, Mr. Burns is like screaming at Don Mattingly to shave his sideburns. So that's that's, where that's, that's what that was from. In- okay, exactly. Yeah, like it's <laughs> this. It, it was just it was insane. Like at one point, like in the middle of a game, Yankees coach Yogi Yogi Berra ordered Goose Gossage to remove a beard he was growing. Gossage responded by shaving away the beard, but leaving a thick, exaggerated mustache extending down the upper lip to the jawline. A look that Goose Gossage still sports today. <laughs> so, like, he, he shaved it off in anger, and then he was like, hey, this is a pretty sweet mustache.
0: I'll tell you, I actually can empathize with these guys, so I I don't think it's a big deal. If I mean, I don't know. I guess you can edit it out if you think it's a problem. But, like, when I... No was living in greensburg pa that's where i grew up it's real close to latrobe pa and latrobe is famous for a couple things one is mr rogers and the other is arnold palmer and i worked at arnold palmer's country club and i was um uh, i attended bar there um yeah and one of the rules there was that the men were allowed to have absolutely no facial hair um yeah beards mustaches nothing Um, and the policy was directly from Mr. Palmer himself, and his justification was, you, why would you want anything on your face that you can grow on your- That was his justification, so I was like, alright, I mean, I'm not really that big of a facial hair guy, I don't really care that much. Um, so it was kind of funny or whatever, but then as soon as, like, I could grow a beard, I did, and I haven't shaved it since. So, but I can understand where it's like your, your boss is telling like, you have to cut your hair this way and you have to shave your, your facial hair this way. And it's like, you don't really care until someone says you can't do it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just reading through like all of his, like, oh my God. I'm just I'm reading through all of the, the things, like the controversies that they have. So apparently in the 1980, uh, 1980 season, Steinbrenner made headlines by signing Dave Winfield to a 10-year, $23 million contract, meaning, making Winfield baseball's highest player. In 1985, Steinbrenner derided Winfield's poor performance in a key September series against the Toronto Blue Jays. Where is Reggie Jackson? We need a Mr. October or a Mr. September. Winfield is Mr. May. My big guys are not coming through. The guys who are supposed to carry the team are not carrying them. They aren't producing. If I don't get big performances out of Winfield, Griffey, and Baylor, we can't win. Uh, This criticism eventually became somewhat of an anachronism, as many believe Steinbrenner made the statement following the 1981 World Series. Part of that comment later led Ken Griffey Jr. to list the Yankees as one team that he would never play. Wow. That's how much of an impact it had. He was like, you talk trash about my dad, I'm I'm never playing for you.
0: Wow. Well,
1: Ken Griffey Jr. wasn't
0: that good, though. So, I mean, what were the Yankees missing out on?
1: Right. Yeah. It's not even, he wasn't a big deal or anything like that. Like, (laughs) so like, apparently he got, he got banned from baseball for a while. Like it's, it was weird. Like, and he was reinstated in 1993. So like, I'm trying to figure out where, like, why did he get banned? And there's like nothing in this article about that. Like, that seems like that's a big deal. (laughs)
0: Like, Yeah. I don't know. And that's the
1: thing too. I remember him being
0: a big deal. Like with all the Seinfeld references and stuff, then. Didn't Costanza work for him for a while or something?
1: Yeah, he, yeah, he did, yeah. Um, oh, here, here's what it is. Okay, so on July 30th, 1990, Steinbrenner, Steinbrenner was banned permanently from day-to-day management but not ownership of the Yankees by Major League Baseball Commissioner Faye Vincent for paying a gambler named Howie Spira $40,000 to dig up dirt on Winfield. So he basically paid money <laughs> oh to to a gambler to find out crap about one of his players. Like, what the hell?
0: Mike, you have to understand, gamblers are notoriously good PIs, especially when you're trying to get dirt on your own players.
1: Yeah. Oh, here it is. Yeah, so apparently Winfield had sued the Yankees for failing to contribute $300,000 to his foundation, a guaranteed stipulation in his contract. Uh, Vincent originally proposed a two-year suspension for Steinbrenner, but Steinbrenner wanted it worded as an agreement rather than a suspension to protect his relationship with the U.S. Olympic community. In exchange for that concession, Vincent made the agreement permanent. After considerable negotiation with Vincent's office, Robert Niederlander, one of Steinbrenner's theater partners and a limited partner in the Yankees organization, became the managerial general partner. After Niederlander resigned in 92, he was succeeded by blah, 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 blah. Um, wow, that's crazy. He literally hired somebody to dig up dirt on one of his own players. like that,
0: And then he was reinstated in 1993. Wow. That is crazy. The more these stories you read, the more I'm interested in this guy. Just like as a retro, like it's kind of like um, when that people versus o yeah. j simpson came out like i was kind of too young to care about anything that was really happening in the 90s like i was more interested in rugrats than
1: than anything right? that was happening yeah.
0: with sports and drama and all this good stuff and you know 93 i was 7 years old i didn't care about any of this crap um, now yeah. in hindsight some of these stories are amazing like i someone needs to do oh yeah a people versus o j simpson on the insanity that was george steinbrenner's life
1: there's There actually is. There's a, there's an ESPN, like it wasn't, it wasn't a documentary, but it's starring John, um, John Turturro as um, as Billy Martin. And it's called the Bronx is burning. And it's like a, it's like a four or five part series. And it's about like the 1976 Yankees, I believe it's the year that uh, the son of Sam killer was in New York. And it was the year that, there was like a big black, like a massive blackout and there was a big fire in New York. And like the Yankees ended, ended up going on to win the world series, but like um Oliver Platt plays George Steinbrenner and like, it is, it's, it's, it's incredible to watch, but it's supposedly like true to life, exactly how things happened. But like, it's definitely worth your time to check out. But like, yeah, they ended up winning. Okay. So they won a, they won a world series in uh 1996. And then they won in 98, 99 and 2000. So they won four World Series in five years and like that and then they they made the playoffs in 2003 they made the playoffs in 2007 like they were continually making the playoffs on a regular basis so he did bring them back to prominence but like just he was nuts just absolutely insane like it's and and I'm reading this stuff and, and like not to get political again but like hearing the words that come out of his mouth he reminds me of Donald Trump he really does like the way he talks and the way he handles things like it, it's it's like if donald trump was an owner of a sports team uh, uh, i wish he was only an owner of a sports team and not the president but yeah
0: well it's not that he didn't try to become an owner of a sports team wasn't that that whole usfl thing he tried to
1: buy names uh, or yeah, whatever he owned the new, Jer- the new jersey hitmen yeah and then he ended up uh filing a suit against the nfl and um, at one point he tried to buy the Buffalo Bills and the NFL was like, no, we remember your lawsuit against this dude. Uh, no, you're never being an owner ever. And there's some speculation that that's why he had so much animosity against the NFL and why he started his whole like drama with them and the kneeling thing. And like, cause, cause the kneeling thing was kind of starting to go away um, until he, until he decided to run his mouth. And then all of a sudden it became a big thing again. So
0: yeah, that keeps happening. Like, he he shot those tweets out and everyone like even people who didn't care one lick about the, the kneeling, like every player on every team was basically doing something. And then it was about to die again this summer. And then the NFL's like, here's our new policy on kneeling. And it's like, guys, if you would just stop talking about it, it would yeah. go away. But like, you just keep bringing exactly. it up in the most dumb PR unfriendly ways. Like what's wrong with you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's It's, it's insane. It really is. Um, Let's, we're getting off topic here. Um, But yeah, George (laughs) Steiner, look him up, dude, seriously. I know, right? Look him up, watch that documentary, if you can, uh, not the documentary the series, um, uh, The Bronx is Burning. It's really, really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, And I think you would dig it too. Um, And actually, Joe DiMaggio has a, uh, a, not the real Joe DiMaggio, Um, Shooter McGavin plays Joe DiMaggio in that movie. And he plays him so well. It's so great. Like he has an awesome cameo in it. It's wonderful. I just wanted him to like, uh, like something happens, and I wanted Joe DiMaggio to like grab the guy that was like the the PR guy and be like, "I eat pieces of crap like you for
0: breakfast." Pieces of crap did. for breakfast, like I, I wouldn't even been <laughs> mad like that. It didn't fit the tone of the rest of that series. If you have that actor yeah, whose name him, I don't even know or care, uh, it doesn't Christopher. matter. Shooter McGavin, Look up. Uh, it, it, Shooter, Shooter McGavin. McGavin always. That's just what he's credited yeah. as. I need to get an IMDb and change his name. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's go back to our our, uh,
1: our Mount Rushmore Steve who do you have on your Chicago
0: mountain of power so the last two I have are two Chicago Bulls and it should come as a surprise to nobody Michael Jordan yeah. and Tony Kukoc everyone knows that memorable pair of Jordan and Kukoc you know how I co- no, I'm just kidding it's Jordan and Pippen Duh, obviously um, yeah. I yeah. I'm a Relatively tall human being, um, not by NBA standards. I'd be like Muggsy Bogue size, basically. I'm six four, but like by average human standards, I'm on the taller side. So I would in ever since as a kid, I was always pushed towards basketball to play basketball and rec leagues and that kind of stuff. And I, I just, I love the sport. I just love it. And you know, being born in '86, I was old enough and hit the Bulls right in their stride. I mean, I grew up watching yeah. them. I grew up watching all the derivations of the team. Um, so the the first three-peat side um, was a completely different makeup of players other than Jordan and Pippen. Um, like I remember watching Horace Grant and Bill Cartwright and Will Perdue and all these guys, and then switching over to the, the era that more people are familiar with, which is uh, the current coach, the Warriors, Steve Kerr, was on this, the second three-peat side after the Jordan two year retirement quote asked to be retired quote, whatever it actually secretly handshake with him and Stern was. Um, but <laughs> it was just so awesome to grow up and watch not like, cause Jordan gets all, all the highlights and all the credit and everything like that. And deservedly. So I think he's the best player that ever lived. He's the Gretzky of the NBA. He's the Babe Ruth of the NBA. Like we've been talking about. Um, but, gosh, watching him and Pippen play together, like, such a dynamic duo. And, and, and again, a little bit too young, obviously, to watch Jordan in the 80s, the, the years where he would just rack up amazing games, amazing stat lines, career and record-breaking stats, and then get bounced in the playoffs. Because he just didn't have, he didn't have any sort of support. Um, a lot like pre-Miami Heat LeBron. You know, you can only drag a team so much by yourself and you just need enough support around you. And watching him and Pippen play together and having a little brother, it was kind of fun because you you would see two player things and, and try and emulate it. And granted, my brother was a Knicks fan. He loved Ewing and Starks and Oakley and Larry Johnson and all these guys. Um, but. No one. and I mean, nobody underestimated how talented Jordan and Pippin were as a duo. Um, basically yeah. unguardable, but something you don't see in the current NBA and a lot of it's because it's been legislated out. But the level of defense the two of them brought together as well, um, they were just ferocious on both sides of the court. Um, and our i I was fortunate enough to play senior. Uh, year of, of high school basketball my brother was a freshman and he was able to, to play on the same team as me because he was a f- and you got you got to play yeah. with him you know he's a pretty talented shooter uh, three-point shooter so um, he yeah. yeah. it, it was just kind of cool to have that come full circle of you know growing up and watching those two play basketball together like I associate Jordan and Pippen with me and my brother growing up and loving and learning how to play basketball together so there's this intermixing of the greatest player of all time absolutely of his generation. You can debate Wilt Chamberlain, Jordan, LeBron, there's stats for all of them, whatever you want to do. I I intermix all of that with his greatness and and the era that he played in with the nostalgia. And basically every conversation you have I have ever had on GGR, nostalgia for something us growing up loving comes into play. There is nothing stronger yeah. sports related than um those 90 eras teams i mean i can name almost every player on every team um and, and just learning how to play playing on a little nerf hoop in the basement playing out back learning how to shoot emulating players and moves and stuff like that with my brother it's just going to be something i'll carry with me for my whole life um so as far as a Rushmore goes we're making it our personal one it's a no-brainer for those two but then i think if you're doing a, a, a chicago one for most people, Jordan's there, and I think Pippin would make a lot of people's as well
1: yeah I mean the, and they say too that like it Jordan wouldn't have won those championships had it not been for Pippin coming to the team so I think that those two do have a a legacy that's tied together um I mean obviously Jordan gets more accolades, but I think without Pippin there is no there is no champion there are no I mean maybe he would have gotten one or two. But he wouldn't have got as many as
0: he Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's like I have um, for all six of their championships, you know how like every team when they win a championship, they release that like season in review video. You know, I I have all six of those for the Bulls. And so like I'll go back and watch him. And like in 91, the first year that they won the NBA championship over the Lakers, like Michael Jordan won the MVP of the league that year, but they accepted it as a team um when they yeah had those two years where Jordan wasn't there the Houston Rockets won the NBA championship that year both times and I don't think the Bulls made it to the championship either time so obviously they couldn't do it without Jordan um like you mentioned in the 80s before Pippen got there Jordan couldn't do it by himself so it was definitely something where they were codependent on each other to get to that level but what they were able to accomplish together um i mean two separate three-peats, even the greatest team in the NBA right now, the Warriors, they technically couldn't do a three-peat. Granted, they've won three out of four, but they had that break in there where the the Cavs were able to punch through and they dropped a 3-1 lead. So, I mean, not only to do a three-peat once, but to do it two separate times, I I don't think that's something that will be replicated in any sport. For I don't don't know if it will ever happen again.
1: Yeah, I would I would tend to agree. And um they they just they when I think of basketball, the time that I loved basketball, that was the era. It was the it was it was Jordan, it was Pippen, it was Isaiah Thomas, it was Magic Johnson, it was um it was Charles Barkley, it was the awesome Charlotte Hornets teal uniforms that they had. Um it was Patrick Ewing of the New York Knicks, and that is who is my last person on the Mount Rushmore of New York sports. Um, he's the one exception to all the other players and, and executives. I don't hate Patrick Ewing at all. In fact, I actually I, – I rooted for him, and there was a time when I worried that Ovechkin was going to be the Patrick Ewing of the mm-hmm. NHL. Incredibly talented, just – a, a physical force to be reckoned with but would never end up get getting a championship. And I think that that hangs over Ewing's head as far as like the culmination of his career. But like that 90s era he was I mean he 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 was basketball. He was what you I mean he was he was the best of the big men. Like that was the guy you wanted and he He was Mr. New York Knicks. I mean, he he ended his career in Orlando, but like he was still he was the face of the franchise of the New York Knicks, and he was part of the D.C. area too because he came from he's he's originally from Jamaica. Um, he was a member of the Georgetown Hoyas when they were relevant, basically, and it was it was just awesome that like he started off in this area went on to New York. I mean, cause it's like, Hey, you go to New York, it's the big place to go. And I, I wouldn't say made the New York Knicks good, but was pretty instrumental in making that team pretty relevant. Now you mentioned a, a handshake deal with David Stern with, with Jordan. Um, I want to talk about the,
0: <laughs> the
1: controversy. The, are, you are you talking know about, the about the frozen envelope? <laughs>
0: yes. 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 Yeah. Give me a
1: little bit of insight in this, because I only know a little bit about it. I know that apparently like it was supposed to be the New York Knicks that won the lottery for whatever reason. But give me a little more insight. on this. Yeah. So
0: real quick history on for the NBA. So it's not like the NFL where the draft is just whoever had the worst record gets the first pick. And then they they order it all the way down to the best team getting the, the last pick. Um, in the NBA, it's the, out of the 30 teams, I don't think there were 30 at that time. I don't think the final expansion with the Grizzlies and Raptors had happened yet. So out of the 28 teams, I think at the time, um, the 12 who did not make the playoffs um, were, were going a lottery and the better odds that you, the, the worse you were. So if you were the worst team in the NBA, you have the most odds in this lottery and it's literally like a like a bingo haul kind of thing um, now where they use bingo like ping pong balls that pop out and so the worse you are the better odds you are well the conspiracy is at the time in the 85 draft the, they used envelopes and so the envelopes had the team's names in it and the theory goes is that there's a conspiracy between Stern and the New York Knicks because everyone knew Patrick Ewing was the guy he was the one you wanted that year they froze the New York Knicks envelope so that when David Stern reached in to randomly pick which envelope it was, he'd know to pick the Knicks because that was the one that was ice cold. Um, I don't know if there's any actual evidence for this, but that's the theory.
1: <laughs> what the hell? Like that makes no sense. Like, oh, for crying out
0: loud. And <laughs> there's all kinds of problems with the lottery version and, you know, and, all this stuff right now that's happening yeah. in the NBA where teams are tanking, they're intentionally losing at the end of the season so that yeah. they get better odds, and they're trying to tweak it and everything. The lottery has its own problems, but I don't think one of them are secretly frozen envelopes to give New York Knicks better players. I don't think that's something that actually is a problem, but yeah. that's the conspiracy theory. Oh my! I think um, <laughs> you mentioned he. he, he I think oh. he's the head coach of the Hoyas right now georgetown i think he's back in the area yeah he is yeah, he he, is. yeah
1: he, he he definitely is and like they, i guess they're just trying to grasp onto any uh, of their history where they were relevant and good because they suck on ice right now um but uh, maybe he'll turn them around i don't know we'll, we'll we'll have to see but um college basketball is weird i mean like i don't think i mean a lot of big name um schools win championships but like they don't always and it's not a guarantee. And like there's a lot of these small colleges that come out of nowhere. I mean, for Crying Out Loud, we saw UMBC be the number one seed Virginia and they were a 16 seed. Like college basketball is just super weird. I never understand how it works and like how these like no name teams can come out of nowhere and win. Like it just it it, it boggles my it mind. Could, like it's it's really awesome to watch. And it's gonna it be changing again sense.
0: soon too, because uh, what it is is when you get into the tournament, yeah. you have these mid-majors, these not name name brand schools, so to speak. And they'll have guys that are basically all seniors. They've been playing together for four years. They have a system in chemistry that they've been cultivating for this year, basically, this fourth year that they've been playing together. So they have a, a, a group of guys that are all, let's say, 70, 75 out of 100 and they have a really great system and a good coach versus these name brand schools that have what are called one and done players, guys that because the NBA's is instituted rule, you can't go right from high school to the NBA anymore. They're going, OK, we'll do our one mandatory year in college, then go to the NBA. And so teams like Kentucky and Duke and Kansas, they scoop these guys up, play them, say, hey, come play for us for one year. Yeah. You'll get guaranteed the NBA. We'll see what we can do this year do the best we can. And so you have these guys that are like 90s out of 100, if you're putting them in like a, like a NBA 2K game or whatever. So it's like a group of 75s yeah. all playing together on the same page versus like one or two 90s. And that's where you get this evenness at. The NBA is doing away with that one and done rule here pretty soon. So the landscape is going to be yeah. very different.
1: Yeah. Um, so back back to um, to Ewing, who I mean, we wish him the best of luck in Georgetown. Hopefully, he can turn their their uh, woes around. But I mean, just to just to kind of rattle this off, I mean, the guy was Rookie of the Year in '85 uh, when he came into the league. Um, he was part of the first dream mm-hmm. team, that first professional basketball team that played in the Olympics for the Americans. I mean, that was it was him. It was Scottie Pippen. It was Michael Jordan. It was Charles Barkley. It was. Um, Christian Leitner. I um, I'm trying to remember team. everybody else. Uh, off
0: Chris Smallin was on yeah, Larry Bird was team. the team. Magic yeah. Johnson was on that team. Oh, yeah. Am I missing anyone else? I should know this whole yeah, roster. So, I, was Reggie Miller on that team? Uh, yeah.
1: No, he was on Dream two, Team too, because it was Reggie yeah. Miller, Isaiah yeah. Thomas. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They were a good Oh, Carl uh, Malone. Carl like, Malone and Stockton he just, were on he that made... team. Stockton and Malone. Oh, okay. Right?
1: Yeah. I want to i'm gonna check they might have been on the second dream team but we are gonna confirm that right now uh dream team was let's see here where's our 92
0: leitner david uh david robinson Um, ewing bird pippen uh, jordan clyde the glide drexler malone stockton chris mullen sir charles barkley and magic johnson Sir Charles Barkley. <laughs> That's terrible. Um, yeah, but I mean, and anyway,
1: he was, that was terrible. Um, he was one of the signature players of the 90s. I mean, he was part of 90s basketball um, lore. Like, you, you can't, I mean, for crying out loud, they put him in Space Jam. Like, you are you weren't a big, well, I mean, but they also put Sean Bradley in Space Jam, so that doesn't really say anything. Um, and Sean Bradley was, like, famous because he was tall. And he wasn't, he wasn't really that good he at He wasn't basketball. good at all. He was seven foot
0: six, but he wasn't good. No. Yeah.
1: Um, I'm I'm reading over some of those things. Apparently, like he was, there was some notoriety because uh, at in a game in 1993, uh, Mugsy Bogues, the shortest player in the league at five three, blocked a shot by Charles uh, by uh by Patrick Ewing. So I want to see that footage because I don't remember Ooh, that. After at you all.
0: do that, look up Spud Web dunk contest. It'll blow your freaking mind. <laughs> I've seen that.
1: I've, I definitely remember that as a kid. That was, that was pretty awesome. But like the dude had good, I mean, he played well in the playoffs reading through this. He was never like, he was never like the goat in the sense that and I'm not using goat. Like everybody uses now as like greatest of all time. I'm using goat as in like the guy you blame for all the problems of the team. Um, he played well. Like it, he just, it was again, like that's, what's wonderful, but also what's horrible about sports is it's so fickle. Like, It's a matter of like there was the game against the Indiana Pacers and um, he missed that finger roll that just like kind of went around the rim and spun out and like they lost the game because of that. And like, I think there,
0: and it was just something about about that that? Jordan era nineties where like, I think you could have taken probably five, six different franchises and put them in almost any era and they would have had a real shot at winning the championship. I mean, the Knicks of that era were definitely one of them, but you had the Pacers who were always competitive um who else the the portland trailblazers that the bulls played against remember the sonics with like gary payton and sean kemp and yeah. all his kids yeah. or whatever yeah, yeah. I, I mean like there's so many people good <laughs> it's, it's just kids. like they just didn't have a chance because like the caliber of competition in the 90s was so so high um uh, i don't know it, yeah. it was just it, just a different era but I always had an internal thing with the Knicks because that was my brother's favorite team. My favorite team was the Bulls. The Bulls and Knicks were rivals. And anytime those two teams were playing each other, like it was on. And if you ever get on YouTube and watch some old footage of that, any, any of you listeners out there, and compare it to today's NBA, I mean, there was stuff where they're just basically punching each other in the face and it's barely getting... They're like, all right, fine. That's a on-the-floor foul. Take it out of bounds. Whereas now, if you breathe on a guy... Shooting two free throws, um, and I sound like an old man when I say that because it's like ah, I used to play for real back in my day. Yeah. But put the footage up, and you'll yeah. understand what I'm saying when you watch some of these Knicks Bulls games. Yeah, dude, that and like those those late '80s, early '90s, oh, the Detroit Pistons oh, teams—they were
1: just—they were brutal. Like, it was just, uh, like, and you saw like Bill Lambeer, like throwing elbows and punching dudes. Like, it was just like, it's a whole, whole different NBA. People these days now. think of Dennis um, Rodman.
0: It's like, you mean that weird old lady who went over to North Korea for some reason? It's like, no, no, no. Watch him back in the day. He was a villain. Like he was like the sports equivalent of a villain. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He basically needed like that black top <laughs> hat and like the curly mustache <laughs> that he could twirl with his fingers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that, I mean, that pretty much wraps us up here um, as far as this. But side note, because we've been talking about it offline here and we'll let all of our, our listeners in on it, too. Um, the <laughs> You mentioned Sean Kemp and all of his kids. I think that's oh a great name gosh. for a band. Um, yeah. Like the like the Kemp kids, that would just be a great name for for a band, um, and they would have to be like green and like green and gold as far as like their colors yeah. for the old uh, Supersonics. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I'm mentioning here is, is Steve and I like in our various iterations of GGR Pirate Radio, whether it's um, been the old school GGR Pirate Radio, whether it was on Comics Online, whether it was on FXBG Pirate Radio, which is now FXBG Public Radio. We've always played a game of coming up with stupid band names right so like um me and my infinite wisdom of wasting time at work um i created a bunch of different album covers for these fake bands which i'm going to put up on the website you guys can see it soon um but we're actually thinking about potentially selling them as t-shirts um
0: just because it would be fun and honestly i just want to wear a kitty cat it would be fun Mike. if if we can get like a list of them and then like put the link like make it like a like a poll And see which ones are the most popular. Like, we'll put it on Facebook, and you guys need to check it out and vote for which one you think is the funniest or the best one that looks like an actual album cover. However, whatever criteria you want to use, just click on which one you think is the best. I think that'd be pretty awesome to see which one. I mean, I think my votes, obviously, Greedo and the Nerd holes. I I know you have Kitty Cat Kinsenier has a special place in your heart, but it does, yeah
1: well like because the album cover that i ended up creating for it i mean it it just it looks like it would be an emo album that you would have like if you were like into the emo scene in like the early 2000s like it just it looks like i i managed to capture that one perfectly the Greedo and the nerd holes one looks like perfect retro punk like early 80s punk and like let's let's not forget stone cock armada stone cock armada looks like just a classic metal album it's it's I was so I'm so proud of myself for these because like it's so dumb that I wasted like easily like two hours working on these throughout my work week this week,
0: but like they I would were say wasted. I mean that Stonecock Armada has a pretty friggin' sweet dragon on it, so there's no waste there. Yeah, that was a pretty sweet dragon. Yeah.
1: And I made the I made the little rooster too. Like I don't know if you saw that. Like the rooster with like the red eyes, like because he looks <laughs> he looks metal. It's like a metal rooster. Um, yeah, it's I made that too. Because obviously we're talking about a cock as in a male chicken. Why else would we be talking of? I mean, come on, guys, seriously, grow up.
0: Get your head out of the gutter. Yeah. Um. So this was,
1: <laughs> this was fun. I I really enjoyed this. Um. I meant to ask you, did you end up uh, ever going to see Solo? Oh yeah, I've seen it twice. Yeah.
0: Oh, you have really so you enjoyed it. I loved it. So well, quickly. I like it. Uh, yeah. I liked the original trilogy and yeah. Force Awakens and everything else. I like less than Solo. Wow,
1: wow. Okay, all right. So my mine still is original trilogy. Um, I would put. I would say uh, Revenge of the Sith then Rogue One, then pretty much all the rest of them. Um, I mean, Last Jedi, eh, I can't really rank them right now. That's a show for another day. But, um, quick quick mention here, I mean, why do you think Solo didn't do as well as everybody was hoping for it?
0: I think that any particular character story, like, so, and I know they, there's all this news right now about them putting stuff on hold or not putting it on hold or whatever. Um, But like there was talk about a Boba Fett movie and I'm like, eh, Boba Fett's a cool character. I like him for the role that he has in the movies, but I don't know if I'd really be super interested in it. But then you got like my one buddy, Charlie, who is like completely, completely uh, into the Old Republic. And he really, really thinks like the Mandalorians are awesome. And you could do all this stuff with like the armor and the history and stuff. So like he would be freaking out about this movie. And so any particular character based story of an existing franchise character, so like Rogue One, all brand new characters. So that one's starting from a clean slate. And they made a really great movie out of it. The problem I had with that one is you just didn't have... There was too many characters to develop in one movie. It was like kind of like an Avengers style without any lead-up movies before it. Um, Whereas this one, you had Solo as an established character. So all the new people that you added on, those are the ones you developed a little bit. And um, I just really liked it because it was a small character story. And that's what I've been asking for. If you go back to some of our old episodes... Of saying, like, yeah. I just want a small, non-Force user story set in this universe. I just want to know that, like, hey, over here, there's this cool little story happening. And it has nothing to do with Jedi or Force or anything. It's just some cool little awesome thing that's happening. And I think that's yeah. why I liked it so much. Um, yeah. But why it did poorly, I don't think the marketing was on point. Um, I I remember seeing a couple commercials for it, like, during the NBA Finals. Yeah. I, I, I just didn't see the kind of explosive marketing that you saw for, for a normal Star Wars movie I think yeah. honestly I just think with all the reshoots that they had to do they knew this thing was going to cost a gajillion dollars and they just they just kind of tanked it I don't know I, I really don't know I just think the nature of a character movie already some people are going to like that character and, and some aren't going to be as excited about it and I don't think Disney backed it the way they should have um yeah. I don't know. I, I I loved it. I thought it was great. I like I like Ron Howard movies in general too. So I thought he was yeah. a fine director for it. Yeah, I,
1: I do too. I'm a big I'm a big Ron Howard fan. Like one of my favorite movies of all time is Apollo 13. Um, but I, yeah, I thought it was fine. I I just I think that like it's just funny that we're talking about a movie that made hundreds of millions of dollars not being successful, and like. There are people saying, like, oh, well, they're going to oversaturate the Star Wars market, or, oh, or it's going to be this, or, oh, it's going to be that. I, no, I don't think so. And, like, honestly, I don't care. I want as much Star Wars as I possibly get. Give me more movies. Give me this um, Star Wars land that they're building in uh, Disney World, which, uh, by the way, is going to be awesome. Um, I, give it all to me. I don't it, – it doesn't bother me at all. And, like, it that's the great thing about Star Wars. It, it was never for everyone. But, like, for some reason – like, once Force Awakens came out, everybody was like, oh, wait, no, everybody loves Star Wars. No, not everybody loves Star Wars. And that's okay. I think that they just needed to temper their expectations. And expecting this movie to make a billion dollars right after Infinity War, which made a billion dollars, was unrealistic. And, like, it's... I think they I think they set the bar too high. It, it disappoints me that we're not going to get to see the Obi-Wan standalone movie, the... Um, Boba Fett won anytime
0: real soon. But maybe we will in the future. I mean, it's... I think this goes all the way back to exactly what you said at the beginning about New York sports teams. It's either championship or bust. And this wasn't a championship, so they're seeing it as a bust. And it's like, I think it's still going to make a profit even with all the money they had to spend on the reshoots.
1: Yeah. Steve, I love your segue ability, man. That was wonderful. What a great way... bring this episode full circle so (laughs) on that note i I think we'll go ahead and wrap things up i think the next episode we're going to end up doing we'll talk a little bit about star wars because we haven't done star wars in a while so we'll go back to star wars uh we'll talk a little bit about and i I mentioned it on uh on social media and i'm not sure if you had seen it or not but um i wanted to talk about this whole like fanboy entitlement thing because there are people that are there's actually a group of people that are trying to make a re make of Last Jedi, which just came out in 2017. And we're not talking about like a fanfic fiction where they have a bunch of no-name actors doing it. They want to hire all the original actors. And they want Disney's approval. And like that's that's ambitious and good for them for trying, but like that that's so like delusional. Like I, I can't even begin to tell you. I mean this isn't like when me and you were like, hey let's rewrite the Star Wars prequels and change them a little bit so they make some more sense. No, this is, like, we're redoing everything because you ruined Star Wars. Like, get over yourself, man. Like, your fandom doesn't entitle you to anything except for, like, the ability to go see a movie in the theaters and buy a
0: t-shirt or something. Like, just chill. Yeah, it's one thing to do the thing that every fan does. And, like you said, we'll get into this the whole podcast. But, like, as as a a teaser, it's one thing to do that whole conversation. Like, well, if I was running the show, well... If I had the ball in the fourth quarter, well, if I was was writing the script, well, if I was in that position, everyone does that conversation. Like It, it, it always happens. Um, but to think that you're like, well, I'm going to do better because why wouldn't I? This is the world we live in and I can just do whatever I want. That's the conversation I think you and I need to have.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, and I think we'll bring some guests um, back in as well. We may bring um, our new ggr friend uh mr james rambo he was really excited about the prospect of doing this as a podcast so uh we'll bring him down and then of course we'll end up talking about fast food again because we're, we're fat guys and that's what we do that's what happens um yeah that's what happens um but thank you everybody for tuning in um check the website and check the facebook page because we're going to be doing that poll because honestly i want to know which one you guys think is the coolest um we may end up releasing all of them as t-shirts we may only un- just do the ones that you guys vote for well, if not t-shirts maybe stickers something cool like that but we want to start doing uh more merchandise um again we tried it once before it didn't work out so well um but we are going to try again um but let's play a little switch foot here to close this out um thank you guys again for for tuning in um we're on facebook obviously it's it's ggr the great Geek refuge uh we're on twitter uh, we've got an Instagram account, which I don't post on enough, so I'll have to change that. Um, but we're all over the place on social media. Um, thank you for listening. I mean, we've, gosh, we're in the 3,000s now when it comes to the number of subscribers we have, which is in-
0: incredible. Um, so thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, Steve, any final words? No, I mean, like we we talk about everything. Like this one was sports heavy, but as you see, somehow Star Wars slipped in. Like we always have some kind of weird pop culture, sports, music, whatever to talk about. So whatever's your cup of tea, whatever you get geeky about, there's something on GGR for you.
1: Exactly, and we are here for you on the internet. Reach out to us if you guys ever want to write for us. If you want to be involved in these podcasts, uh, reach out to us. We love having new contributors. That's how we got Andy Barsh. Uh, that's how we got Zombie Ben. Um, That's how we got James Rambo was a friend of a friend of a friend through Ulysses Campbell. It's it's a great and wonderful Internet world out there. This is how we move forward as a culture is just sharing the things that we love. So for Steve, for Andy, for Ben, for Jess, for all the people involved with GGR, my name is Mike Lunsford and thank you for tuning in to GGR Pirate Radio. This has been Pirate Radio Network production, Juice Bags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy.
0: Welcome to the
1: fall. Welcome to resistance. The tension is here. The tension is here.